The idea was that it would be inspirational without being overly aspirational so that, you know, we're not going down this kind of, hey, you're, you know, digital nomad and we're working from a co-working space in Bali. Welcome back to Media Voices, everybody. The final Media Voices of this season. We are taking a summer break after this episode and we're going to be back in early September. So please do keep a look out on our social channels for our inevitable and celebrated return. Um, before then, <laughs> I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. I'm Peter Houston. That extract you just heard is from my interview with Sophie Cross, editor and I guess publisher of Freelancer. Sophie has just sent out the second issue of her Kickstarter-funded indie mag. We spoke about her penchant for writing business plans, the freelance community that inspired the freelancer launch, and how it was putting together that difficult second album. Uh, We also spoke about the Sunrise Club and the joys of getting up at sunrise. Mm. I'm going to have a hard disagree with that. Mm, I was going to say, yeah, that's going to be the most contentious thing we've ever said <laughs> on Media Voices. Before that, though, we're going to get into our news roundup. To begin with, Future PLC has driven nearly $1 billion in e-commerce sales in 2020. So Future PLC drove that uh, for its affiliate partners last year, citing evergreen content and shopping holidays like Amazon's Prime Day as key drivers. So Esther, why don't you take us through what have been some of the kind of the underlying trends that have led to the success for future? Well, multiple lockdowns, and I guess people yeah. haven't had any <laughs> other choice. Um, but Peter, our last week's guest actually disagreed with that, didn't they? Well, I don't think he was disagreeing that that helped to 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 increase sales. But what Aaron was saying was that the infrastructure and the way they were approaching affiliate e-commerce didn't change at all. That was already the plan. So I guess where they had traffic spikes or where everyone had traffic spikes because of lockdown, they they were able to take advantage of that. But it, it wasn't like they had this massive change of strategy. It was just there. Yeah, and I suppose well, I mean, if, if you're really heavily focused on search and SEO and, and being top when people are searching for best barbecues, then that's going to have served you very, very well. Like, like you wouldn't have to do anything different. Yeah, I think that that listening to him and reading around this sort of you know these sort of success stories that you hear about future, their strategy is so focused on affiliate revenue. You know, it, it's just absolutely embedded in what they do now. Well, so is this is this a case of future being right place, right time for this? Because they have been investing in their e-commerce proposition, their e-commerce platform for years and years and years. I remember when they bought TI Media, it was kind of with half an eye on using their control of verticals to, to really pump up their e-commerce yeah. proposition. It's funny that you say years and years and years. Yeah. Because it's not. <laughs> no. It probably is like five years, maybe? That's years and years and years. I think it's two thousand and sort of sixteen ish that they started looking at this seriously. So certainly to externally, because I can I can remember sitting with you at the start of two thousand and seventeen, Chris, and discussing with you some of the really random acquisitions they were making and wondering mm. what they were doing. And then I think mm. it was around then that they launched the the affiliate um, business, and that's kind of almost been 
not not wholly responsible for the turnaround, but it, it's certainly driven quite a lot of the, the turnaround since then. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, mean, is, is the debate here, is five years a long time? <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it has in media, yeah. So I'm taking some stats from elsewhere. Uh, basically, electrical and tech has seen the biggest swing over the last couple of years, well, over the last 18 months compared to previous years. And sales in, e- in terms of e-commerce and affiliate were up 91% in 2020. And we're expected to grow seventy eight percent in the first quarter of this year alone. So, but there, there were some things they launched in response to the pandemic, weren't they? Because remember, they they launched um, it was a gardening title and like yeah. a fitness title that they launched specifically to capitalise on now, the fact again, that people were suddenly turning to like to their gardens. Again, Aaron disputed that last week. He <laughs> said that that was always on the cards because exactly for what Chris has just said. As part of that purchase, they identified these verticals and said what was, you know, the TI portfolios. Okay, there's a gardening one. That absolutely makes sense because people love gardening. Just so happened that that was one of the big things that they could do during the pandemic. Smart investments that would have paid off that have been accelerated by the pandemic. Let's say that instead. Yeah, you go. Which is a huge, you know, we've talked about that so many times about how the pandemic accelerated digital media digital in, in general trends so here's my question then our future obviously are kind of one of the big beneficiaries of this what about the other places that we've seen huge uh, investment in affiliate revenue like buzzfeed why are they not making the same amount of noise about their success in this is it that they were in the wrong vertical <laughs> it's not you know buzzfeed is buzzfeed and it's got verticals but it's still buzzfeed whereas futures got verticals and it's um uh, it's music radar or it's tech radar, you know, it goes much more granular. So people are turning to future brands rather than to future. BuzzFeed was saying that they um, they do see huge success with Prime Day. And if you go on their website anywhere near Prime Day, it's just full of like, you know, the be- <laughs> you almost can't move for Prime Day content. And I know that's, mm. that's one of the biggest drivers for them. Um, I think my question here is that isn't affiliate... Well, I, affiliate revenue is possibly um, a little bit of too many eggs in one basket here because I know uh, certainly during the pandemic last year, Amazon actually turned around and said, we can't cope with the volume of orders that publishers are pushing mm. to us. Um, we're basically going to re- reduce the tips we give you for sending traffic our way. Yeah. Um, and, and <laughs> It's not tips. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's refer, referral commission. That, that's, that, those were the words I was looking for. Not Thanks, guys. Here's some money for um, But I, I know that there were a lot of publishers that wouldn't talk about what was happening at the time because they've all got their individual deals. But but there were some there were some categories that Amazon reduced commissions by as much as it was sort of 70%, 80%. And if your business model is reliant I – mean, it, it always comes down to this. If your business model is reliant on a big company like Amazon – that is absolutely true, but I don't think Future is reliant on Amazon that way because I think a lot of the deals are direct with the suppliers mm-hmm. or the brands, rather. I mean, you're all Yeah, because they've, they've got like a Hawk widget tool, haven't they? They've, they've developed to kind of um, yeah, bring th- in deals from lots of different places. Yeah, I think they've got that whole yeah. back end that they've, they've invested in. But you're, you know, you're right, Esther, for, for everyone else, for, for smaller people. You know, when we talked to James at, at Wearable, massively reliant on Amazon mm. um, revenues. Well, in that sense, shouldn't everybody be, everybody be doing what BuzzFeed is doing and creating exclusive products 
so as it did with its sort of like, uh, like. sexual health and well-being, <laughs> yeah, with, with its vibrator. When is future so launching like, its range of vibrators is what I'm asking. <laughs> no, if you look at Mark Alka on uh, Single Track, you know, it's it's by any definition it's an independent magazine. It's an a, a SME publisher. Um, he's got his own stuff. He's got his own coffee and he's got his own mugs and his own T-shirts and, and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, there's definitely something there. Um, whether whether he should be going off and looking at the sex toy industry <laughs> for mountain bikers, I really have no comment. <laughs> Mark, write in, let us know. Um, I think probably then before we go completely mad, one of the things that we should point out is the fact that Future has been one of the great success stories of the past two years in particular. I mean, Esther, you were talking about was speaking about Future right back at the start of Media Voices. But even then, we would never have foreseen necessarily this this rapid turnaround in their fortunes. No, and I, th- I think it has been very, very acquisition driven. And one one of the interesting things in this Digiday piece that, that we're drawing these stats from is that um, Zilla Bing Thorne was apparently saying that she wants to try and make an acquisition every nine months. Well, if they want to acquire Media Voices, then yeah, yeah. they know what. Yeah, they know what our email. Then we can is. then we can sell tote bags. Oh, we're going to be selling <laughs> tote bags packed full of vibrators. It's too early in the morning for vibrator chat. Hey, and speaking of sexual well-being, or not well-being in this case, um, we're beginning the news in brief with a wonderful little story here, a cautionary tale for publishers who haven't been paying attention to their link rot issue. So the defunct video platform Vidme was bought by a porn network, which has caused all of the videos embedded into the sites to serve hardcore porn instead of the original video file. So among the sites done by this were the Washington Post, New York Magazine, the Huffington Post. I saw it happen to Kotaku, causing a scramble to take down uh, those videos, those video embeds. So it's fun, but it's also kind of a very pressing issue as link rot continues. And we see, God, articles from the distant past just no longer linking up to where they're supposed to. And it's going to be a huge problem for publishers in terms of brand safety, I, I suspect, coming over the next couple of years. There was a study done a couple of months ago that showed it was something like up to 40% of links on um, publishers' websites are basically just either going to dead places or places they definitely didn't intend them to go. <laughs> yeah. Twitter has reported a 74% increase in revenue with ad sales crossing that magic $1 billion mark for the very first time. Uh, it's seen user growth of 11% as well as bringing in monetizable daily activity users to 206 million. I mean, I think this is good news because I think Twitter's had a rough deal, partly by its own making. But it's good to see some success at Twitter because we actually fundamentally like Twitter, don't we? I'm yeah, always on it. It's one of those interesting ones that user growth has been so static for so many years. And like they have managed to increase revenue because they've, got better at the ad platform but to actually see that kind of user growth i think that they were sort of actually reaching to the pandemic and basically people being really bored um <laughs> but I, th- I they've obviously still got a lot to do with um i know they had huge problems with the um, abuse after the football um mm. and just all the racism that was coming out and it was just yeah not great they've still got a lot of work to do there and I can't believe I'm about to say this, um, but Substack <laughs> is funding the launch of a new podcast network called Booksmart Studios. Uh, so it's it's sort of throwing its money at a number of people to go full time on on Booksmart. 
um, including hosts, producers. Um, and like newsletters, I think the idea is that Substack is going to take a 10% cut of podcast revenues for people who launch paid podcasts. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, so, so why did this surprise you? Was it because Substack is, has always purely been a newsletter platform prior? Well, I think it surprised me at first, and then the more I thought about it, the more it did kind of make sense. And I think Substack said that they've got a number of podcasters using their tools already because they've got the they've got the ability to embed podcasts within their yeah. emails. Yeah, um, that's that one seems strange to me. That though, and then, and so they said they've got they've got podcasters that have said, "Oh, actually, we can use your subscriber tools to deliver subscriber only podcasts straight to an inbox." And so Substack have kind of gone, "Well, let's make that a more." official kind of supported infrastructure. So now if you're solo and you're looking to launch, um, a you know, if you've got a subscriber-only podcast, Substack is actually now a really viable option for that. And moving on, a craze for pickleball, which I've got to admit this is the first time I'd heard about it, which is a cross between badminton, table tennis and tennis, has inspired the launch of a new magazine aimed at fans of the game. So In Pickleball is aiming to be the vogue of pickleball and it's designed to appeal to the mostly older and well-off Americans who play it. Okay, I think yeah, the interesting thing just... here, though, is is launching a magazine like that off the back of like a big craze going on. It it just kind of, I mean, the idea, the, the vogue of pickleball <laughs> <laughs> seems like a very weird way of putting it. Nice glossy magazine. It, it wouldn't look table. as weird as the Quidditch craze that happened oh, when I was, that was at uni. Oh, so bizarre! Yeah, that's still. And I'm not there. joking. There were college Quidditch teams. Yeah. Where you run around with a broom between your legs. Oh, I did. This is an interesting one. Facebook has lined up a number of big names to launch its independent publishing platform, Bulletin. So does this mean Facebook can no longer deny that it's a publishing platform, which it has been doing for the last, like, 10 years? It'll it'll find a way. It'll find a way. It'll say it's oh, a yeah, curator right. of, of the public. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's a multiverse. Mm. It's just Whatever. a platform. Metaverse, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a newsletter platform for all these other lovely people. I honestly, seriously, I think they're doing a decent job of this. And this broke late Sunday, so we couldn't include it in last week's news roundup. But more than 180 editors, investigative reporters and journalists have been selected as possible candidates for surveillance by government clients of the NSO group. Um, this has been broken by The Guardian. Um, and NSO's main product, Pegasus, um, is apparently capable of compromising your phone, extracting all the data on the service and activating the microphone to spy on you. So that's a really cheery story. The, the amount of <laughs> surveillance and... Like utterly, utterly disgusting uh, government, you know, clampdowns on journalists the last couple of weeks. It's just been awful. Yeah, there's a lot going on now. That's a whole special. <sighs> yeah, we could do that. Yeah, we'll come back in in the middle of summer for a one-off. Moving on, the independence video platform Independent TV is succeeding where others have failed. So I spoke to its managing director for the drum, and they have a very cautious commissioning process, and they are launching with journalist-led series. So the service is set to grow its revenue 150% this year. In fact, it's already pushing up against that. And the newspaper plans to launch it as an OTT service with its own app very soon. And when I asked, he didn't deny that they might potentially move into linear TV as well. Although, given what's happened with GB News, maybe not. Uh, CNN's also launching a streaming service next year. Guess mm. what they're calling it? Well, that too slow, CNN Plus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they're planning to hire 450 people for this service. Keep an eye out for CNN Plus. When is Media Voices Plus coming out? Never. (laughs) 
This week I spoke with Sophie Cross, editor and publisher of Freelancer magazine. We spoke about positivity and jazz hands, the power of the freelance community and how she came to launch the Kickstarter funded project. But first we spoke about her career before she became an independent magazine publisher. Graduated from Newcastle University with a business degree, always kind of had a fascination with with business and and wanting to start a little business um but kind of you know thought that you would I would walk into a, a graduate job and didn't um because I was absolutely horrendous at interviews <laughs> nothing's changed there and kind of then moved home and thought oh I can be whatever I want to be and retrained or trained as a personal trainer you know with the, with the idea to kind of set up my own little personal training business but actually I was you know, 22 or 23 and just liked going out too much, really, probably. And I just got got kind of bored of like handing out towels, um, which was like a lot of what my day was, and went to HR and asked if they had any kind of business, businessy jobs. And I got the job as marketing exec at the Hilton Brighton. I worked in, in for hotels and in, in kind of corporate hospitality and marketing roles for um, a few years and then decided to take the leap into self-employment um, and to go freelance in marketing so I sort of come up with tried to come up with lots of ideas of, like constantly writing business plans I still do like a hobby yeah it's like a hobby yeah I suppose if you'd actually looked at how many business plans I've written or started to write then you know you'd probably be in triple figures by now and yeah how many urls i've bought was always kind of thinking of a little business set up and had a bit of a light bulb moment when i thought oh i could set up a marketing business and that won't have as many startup costs as like setting up a sausage and mash restaurant and you know i actually know what i'm doing (laughs) so yeah i went freelance in 2013 um i set up my business called thoughtfully yeah, worked as a freelance marketer and then kind of went into copywriting because it turned out that most of what people were asking me to do ended up being copywriting. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I really, you know, I really enjoyed and I suppose compared to marketing, um, the deliverables are a, a lot easier to explain to people. Um, you know, you get better briefs and, and things like that. So I, I did and and I, and I wasn't you know, trained as a writer or copywriter, but it's actually how I started kind of getting involved in the freelance communities, I think, because I was thinking, okay, well, I'm sort of ended up being a copywriter. I better find out a bit more about this. So yeah, I think I found, um, there's Gareth Hancock, who's that at that content shed on Twitter, and he's kind of a prolific copywriter and also the nicest, friendliest person ever and started me getting getting me into these copywriting communities, you know, freelance communities. And then doing that, I was doing it for kind of like lastminute.com and, and the London Eye and, and some big brands. I lived in London, li- went to India for six months kind of to get out of the, the rat race a little bit. Ended up living in Exmoor when we got back from India, temp- you know, intending to be there for three months. Six years later, we decided to move back to London. So that was last February. And I was like raring to go. Yeah, I was like, I am going to take the travel and hospitality marketing industry by storm. By March, I'd lost most of my client work. And yeah, and then was like, oh, I'm not really sure what I'm doing with my life. Um, so I 
was really, really kind of leaned on the freelance communities at this point and, you know, and was on social media a lot and Slack groups and things like that. And yeah, just fantastic people that I met online and decided to set up. I was doing an online course actually and just sort of thought, oh, maybe I could, you know, create an online course, a marketing course and, and really targeted it. I suppose I was I, I was sort of thinking, what who do what markets do I know? Either travel and hospitality or sort of freelancers and small businesses. So I decided to go more down that route given that, you know, travel and hospitality weren't spending much money at the time. Yeah, I just went for it because I just felt like there was nothing to lose really. And that, you know, actually I would be learning something by creating the courses and learning how to use the software I was using and that I would be kind of consolidating my thoughts and, and getting them down. And, you know, they went, they were received pretty well. And, you know, just by creating things and putting yourself out there, you become bigger parts of communities and, and people, you know, even if they're not buying the courses, they're sharing them or, you know, you've got got things to talk about. Then off the back of that, I came up with the idea for the magazine. I guess interesting. That, that idea that the magazine came out of the community. Yeah, I felt that it wasn't intentional, but it was almost sort of textbook. Actually, looking back, it seems like, well, of course you would do it that way. Of course you would already be part of the community that you wanted to serve because coming up with an idea and then trying to become part of the community, yeah. that doesn't make as much sense really does it and that you know everything starts to click into place when when it's that way around as well in terms of being able to come up with ideas you know people that are buying it so much better you know their behavior you know what they want you know what interests them you know you have that direct relationship where you can ask people to be involved um and what they want so yeah i think that's that that's been great from from that perspective as well i mean it's a classic indie magazine approach corporate publishing tends to identify a market and then go in and that's fine if you've got loads of money to throw at something but if you're just starting it up um on your own you kind of have to start there i'm obviously very new to publishing and, and my experience of it is is as well either as a reader or as someone in-house in a marketing department that's kind of being sold advertising space to and I just kind of do want to turn everything on its head so that my intention you know going forward with advertising as well is that uh, my experience I'm not saying everyone does it like this is kind of to you know get those circulation numbers up and and to kind of sell advertising based on those circulation numbers where I would rather sell it based on you know, having a really engaged audience and that everyone pays for the magazine and, and that is more, I believe that that is more appealing to advertisers than, you know, that there's lots of free copies sitting around in, in offices and in, in kind of public spaces. Okay, so talk about the magazine a little bit. What's it about? What's on it? How did you produce it? So it was always going to be kind of print first. There is a digital version. So it's called Freelance Magazine. It's a square, um, about 100-page, glossy you know, business mag, you know, there is sort of lifestyle stuff in there as well. And, you know, really, we're sharing stories from other free freelancers. So mainly the content is is interviews from other freelancers and, and, you know, how they run their businesses and business advice, marketing advice, but there's also, yeah, lifestyle, um, lifestyle type pages as well. So the idea was that it would be inspirational without being overly aspirational so that you know we're not trying to kind of go going down this kind of 
hey, you're, you know, digital nomad and we're working from a co-working space in Bali, which I think, I mean, we do have an international audience. We're fundamentally UK based. And, and, you know, that's something that I'm, you know, think a lot about is, you know, representation in, in, in all different ways and trying to kind of represent who your audience is, but, you know, also pushing those boundaries a little bit further. But yeah, just really trying to connect freelancers and and that's something that's more you know I'm really really trying to do now like issue two is is community anyway but I'm really realizing the importance obviously the magazine was born out of a community but for me realizing that it's about connecting the people in the community not me having a connection with those people which is also lovely obviously but um yeah that that kind of power of community comes from that and that they can support each other and grow each other's knowledge and be you know inspirational for each other and I got a reputation for being quite positive it's not a bad reputation to have no um, you know I, I I always think like oh god I hope people don't think I'm too kind of like you know going around with jazz hands and stuff which isn't the case at all but I you know I really do believe in kind of moving forward putting positive ideas across and and, and sharing stories and and not to say that you know there aren't difficulties you know I'm not trying to put a positive spin on everything but yeah that we're kind of sharing knowledge and supporting and being positive and and that's you know the the kind of angle we're coming from. I think one of the things that I got from the first issue is that idea that I and you know this you know there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people working in a similar way that you're working but you go oh yeah (laughs) I get that there's other people doing this it's not just me. We do a lot of the time think that, don't we, about everything, kind of think, oh, you know, if you're struggling to to price something or that you're feeling like a bit nervous about turning up to, you know, a webinar or a networking event or something, you forget that everyone else feels like that. And there is kind of power from just reminding yourself that or being reminded of that. And um, it's totally about sharing people's stories and making people feel like that but also sharing stories from people who are really like you they're not necessarily people at the top of their game I mean some of these people are but I guess it's also how you define being at the top of your game and that doesn't always necessarily mean working for the best clients or being famous or things like that it's also you know people at the top of the game because they've got amazing work-life balance or because you know they're doing something a bit differently I'd imagine your work-life balance went right out the window when you put your first issue out. How how was that process? Um, yeah, it did. And also because, well, we decided to, to move house and fully renovate the flat we were moving into at the same time as, as launching the Kickstarter. In some ways that created a maybe not work-life balance, but I was being forced to like paint <laughs> in the evenings and weekends, which actually I started to see as you know, I was putting podcasts on, I was putting music on and I was thinking, okay, well, this is my time away from the screen. Um, But yeah, I was absolutely knackered after it. And I suppose there's so much adrenaline going around the Kickstarter and around issue one. And yeah, it's something that I think a lot about, about kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm quite bad at routines and habits. I'm really bad at it. And I try and put things in place the whole time, but I'm sort of all over the place. So I think, oh yeah, I'm going to start swimming. And then, you know, I'll go swimming one week and then the next week I'll do something different. And I'm like, why have I stopped going swimming? But I suppose it doesn't really matter what you're doing as long as, you know, you are resting and you are 
you know, getting away from the screen and things like that. So yeah, I try, I'm trying to put as much in place as possible to, to do that because, you know, I really believe that that is good for your creativity. It's good for your productivity um, and that people feel it, right? Like they feel the energy. If you're creating something and printing a magazine and, you know, especially, you know, with the Kickstarter too, people can really feel if you're enjoying it or not. Um, so I think it's really important to keep keep enjoying it. How was the Kickstarter? Because it's one of those things that always looks easy when it works. Yeah, it was just a hundred miles an hour. People were like, "Oh, it's going to be crazy," and I was thinking, "Yeah, yeah." And you know, I wasn't kind of pulling all nighters or anything like that. <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, you know, I wasn't working that hard. I was sleeping. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I didn't think we weren't going to make it I didn't think we weren't going to make the target and I suppose from the kind of first day we launched it with a party so it really kind of went off with a bang party was live streamed on twitch and we had like a zoom like a vip zoom room and you know people obviously talking about it on twitter and like I remember just being sort of in shock and people sort of saying oh my god look at you know look at where it's at already this is incredible I suppose there was a little bit after that first day or two thinking, or that first night thinking, oh, maybe everyone that's going to buy it now has bought it. <laughs> but it just kept going, like it just kept going until we reached our target and then it plateaued a bit. It was just intense in the best way. I remember hitting 10K and being like, oh my God, we've just hit 10K, like I should have had a plan for this. <laughs> and then just being like okay I'm just going to give away like 10 mugs and like and I suppose the wonderful thing is when it is just you you can just be yeah. so fast so what was your original target so original target was 12,750 <laughs> I'm not sure why um and we hit 18k <laughs> with a few offline donations as well well backers not donations so now you're on Tessie too it's the beauty and the cost of magazine publishing is you're never actually finished. Yes. And it's the, you've really gone with that community issue with the, the kind of photo montage of readers and uh, backers, uh, which looks great, actually. Yeah, we've done a sneak preview of the cover. Is it hard to really kind of draw together that community? Because, you know, your first issue had a DJ on a cover. I don't think a DJs is being freelance, but of course they are. So is it difficult to bring together to that, that community? No, I think, I mean, I'm I'm really happy that sort of, you know, it ended up that community was our second theme. So I set out four, four themes for the first four issues. So we sold the first four issues via the Kickstarter. So we were committed to the first four issues. And I just thought, okay, these are going to be the first four themes. And, you know, creativity was a great one to start with because you can kind of go anywhere with it yeah lots of really interesting people and then yeah it came around as community and I'm kind of thinking oh this is brilliant because you know it's kind of the difficult second album you know you kind of think oh god have I run out of ideas and I also am conscious about I was part already of, of lots of freelance communities and, and you know certainly on Twitter on LinkedIn online on Slack and I suppose of course you've got to start with those people but I realized that you know we're in a kind of a bit of an echo chamber of our own freelance communities and and yeah of course you've got to start with them and they will have connections outside but you know it would be great to reach people 
beyond that and actually people that you know the, the whole reason we are print is because you know it connects people even if you don't want to be online if you don't want to be on social media if that's not your thing um that you know you can read people's stories and you can feel connected with people but then it's also it's not as easy to reach those people in the first place but you know that will that will come and and you know as we have kind of marketing budgets and things like that we'll think of ways but at the moment it's really about that kind of you know organic growth and and yeah growing those communities from from where we're starting from there's also a balance between talking to and about you know the freelancers that have the most common roles like web designers web developers journalists copywriters graphic designers um, marketers and you know having that balance of representing other people and, and bringing them in but I think you know even when we're talking to a photographer for instance I'm thinking this article is going to be more interesting to non-photographers probably and kind of finding out how a freelance photographer might work and and you know how they would kind of get new clients or how they would you know or maybe they work for an agent and it might be things that you haven't thought of but actually might work for you outside your own kind of industry so if i asked you for advice for anyone who's thinking of launching a magazine what, what would your advice be so i think it would be um yeah be part of the community that you want to serve before you launch really and i think you know we've, we've spoken about that a bit and and I am a yeah, huge advocate for, for Kickstarter or for crowdfunding and, you know, having never have kind of run a, a Kickstarter before, um, I was really impressed with, because, <laughs> you know, I was just learning as I went and I was really impressed with kind of the functionality of Kickstarter. But yeah, also how it worked to kind of bring the community in. But I think, you know, even with the funding that we got you know even with people buying the magazine up front I can't imagine how stressful it would be to kind of not have that money in the bank and obviously like lots of people who start a magazine yeah. don't and even still you know because of the way you can't just print the amount of copies that people have bought right you have to overprint and you have to make these guesses and there's there's more startup costs associated with running you know with starting a business than just kind of print and design and all of these things so it's still financially you know is stressful so I just think if you haven't validated that product market fit first I can't imagine do it first before you start making it that would be my my advice I've got to ask you about getting people up at sunrise tell me about that started in October which was a good month to start because sunrise isn't that early which what we're realizing now is like getting up at seven is a lot easier than getting up at four which probably sounds a bit obvious so what's it called it's called sunrise club um the hashtag on twitter so it's largely we kind of found that everyone that was doing it was on twitter so the hashtag is sunrise club wrt which is we rise together so yeah, you can check out that hashtag and, and see, you know, people's picks from, from the last ones. But I, yeah, I had the idea that, yeah, it might be cool to kind of get up at sunrise once a month and that maybe it would be cool if other people and people around the world were doing it too. And, you know, there was kind of 
that feeling of rising together and you know certainly at the time everyone was isolated and and you know feeling a bit down the weird thing for me was that I was a bit like yes and I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna run to the top of a hill and I'm gonna you know see sunrise and actually everyone else kind of chilled me out a little bit and it was you know getting up at sunrise and reading a book or you know having a cup of tea and I was like oh maybe you don't have to like you know maybe I don't have to run to the top of a hill every time it's really relaxed like you don't have to do it every month like I send an email out on the Sunday before just to remind people that it's that Monday so the next one will be in August it's a first Monday of every month is that right yeah first Monday of every month um but yeah it's kind of brutal to start now I I might wait until October No, you know, you should. Um, my next one's it's my birthday, actually. My next one, so I'm like, oh, that's cool because I'll, oh. I'll, um, I'm gonna be in Brighton as well, which will be nice. But I'm like, oh, well, I'll make the most of my birthday, won't I? I'll probably be in bed at like 7 30. Uh, we ask all our guests for a media recommendation for our listeners, uh, anything at all. What would you recommend? I'm gonna say a podcast called Ear Hustle, which is probably my favorite podcast it's made in san quentin prison and it's made by one of the inmates and um a volunteer that that is working in the prison and yeah the production is amazing you know and i'm just really pro just listening to things that are a bit different as well but yeah absolutely like it's i just it's just such an easy listen it's so interesting they talk about like all the different aspects of prison life um yeah I just thought it's also you know super motivational I remember like I was going for a run the other day and I put an episode on and they were kind of talking about like you know life on death row and things like that and I was thinking right these guys are like you know living their best like the best life they can being on death row like I can run you know another mile on this run but yeah really inspirational um really interesting so yeah i'd I'd recommend ear hustle so even though the podcast is stopping for the summer we are going to be continuing some of our other editorial endeavors and if you would like to support us as we do you can go to our ko-fi page and either do a monthly subscription or a one-off donation peter you hate donation the term yeah, it's a contribution. Yeah. A contribution, it's an, sorry. Yeah. It's an it's investment. And you can do that by going to voices.media forward slash support. Uh, massive. Yeah, it might seem that I'm a little bit more uh, energetic <laughs> this morning. Well, thank you, Artisan Coffee Co. Uh, <laughs> they sent us a beautiful box of coffee. Uh, it's amazing. I love it. Uh, I'm not sure Esther's got hers yet, but she'll have it soon. Chris only drinks tea, so no luck, Mr. Mm-hmm. Sutcliffe. Actually, though, if anyone wants to send Chris some tea, just give us a shout. That's, a, br- that's a very good point, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, anything. Seriously, thanks so much, Arts and Coffee. It is lovely. And yeah, we might be going away, but as Chris said, uh, we're not completely going away. We will still be very, very busy. Um, so if you're desperate for more content um, throughout the summer while you can't hear us, um, you can actually sign up to our daily newsletter if you've not already. We'll be carrying that on because media doesn't stop and we're gluttons for punishment. Um, so that contains four of the most important media stories of the day as curated by us and, uh, well, We'll probably do some throwback links to episodes or something like that. But yeah, you can sign up to that at voices.media. But until we're back with our next episode, probably a look back at the summer, please do tell everybody you know about Media Voices and stay safe. 
Yeah, enjoy the summer. Imagine if we get one of those blissful situations where nothing happens over the summer and we just come back and we're like, cool. Jinxed it. You've jinxed it. I was actually thinking that one of the most depressing things that you've ever said on this podcast was, media doesn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Never stops. <laughs>